Welcome to The Human Perspective with internationally recognized badass disability activist Judy Human. This week, Judy is chatting with Andrea Levant. Andrea Levant is a disability justice leader, the impact producer for Crip Camp, president of Levant Consulting, and dedicated dog mom to Goji, the first service dog to grace the red carpet at the Oscars. The first part of this interview was done back in July, for the 30th anniversary of the ADA, when Judy and Andrea had absolutely no expectation of going to the Oscars. We then fast forward to right after the Oscars, as Judy and Andrea reflect on their experience together from meeting celebrities, what they wore, and the highlights of the week. The Human Perspective is produced by me, Becca Howe, and Judy Human. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective. So let's roll up, lay down, dance around, get some snacks ready, whatever makes you feel best, and let's meet our guests today. Welcome to The Human Perspective. Today is a great day. It's the celebration of the Americans with Disabilities Act 30th anniversary this month. And it's also my uh, privilege to interview Andrea Levant. Um, I met Andrea Levant in I think 2000 or 2008 as I was crossing a street going to my office and Andrea was stuck in the street. Do you remember that? I remember it very vividly. <laughs> there she was, wheelchair not working right, and we were trying to figure out what to do. Yes. And so I helped link her up to the company that did my repair work, right? Yes, and I had no idea who Judy was. <laughs> she Nor was did I know who Andrea was, because <laughs> you knew in town, right? Right, right. I had just moved to DC. <laughs> from where? From Tennessee. Tennessee, where are you originally mm -hmm. from? I grew up in Kentucky, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you had come to D.C. to do what? To work. So I was um, working for a nonprofit doing youth development work. And uh, D.C. was just my dream. I had visited when I was, my dad took us on spring break there when I was a junior in high school. And what I really loved about it was I could see the possibility for independence, um, like with the, you know, just the metro. And I liked the pace of it. You know, it was a little bit faster than the South. And um, yeah, so it worked out that I, I had an opportunity there, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so, and I was not a very bold person. So the fact that I stopped you in the street during that time just cracks me up. But here we so are. I think that comment is really great. Um, if we could speak for a minute about the issue of boldness. Mm -hmm. so really, in some way, you were bold by coming and moving to D.C., just like mm -hmm. when I went to, from Brooklyn to California. Have you had mm -hmm. your disability your whole life? Yes, yes. So I was diagnosed when I was two, and I've been a wheelchair user, you know, since I was five. Mm -hmm. so I, I presume that one of your challenges when you moved away was also needing to find personal assistance other than your family. Right, right. And I think that's when I went from, I was really shy and I don't even know if I would call it shy. I honestly 
I did not really develop the concept of disability pride or identity until I started working in the space. And so I think it was more of a, a I could even say a shame or like not wanting to draw attention to um, disability or needing, you know, feeling, you know, just asking for help. And so it took me leaving home to realize that the only way my needs were going to be met was if I asked. And so, you know, there comes a point when you're like, you know what, I don't care. I, I need help. So let me ask, you know, um, and what we've learned now, I think is, is the concept of interdependence and how we really can, you know, be there for one another. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, there's anything like we're better together. And that's what I've learned along the way. I think that's really important points because um, so many of our viewers are kind of in the same situation as you and I both have been at different points in our lives, the ability to um, really own our disability in a prideful way, mm -hmm. work with others on trying to expand the movement. But there really is something in my view which is different when we have to go out and ask for assistance yes. for personal needs. Yes, absolutely. It, and, and that, uh, it's a journey. It's a journey when you're going from people that kind of automatically know what you need um, to uh, identifying what you need. You know what I mean? And I, it's been, what, almost 20 years since I left home. And I still, with each new PCA that I have, do things a little bit different based on the one before, because I learned something, you know? <laughs> I, I learned something along the way. I definitely know. Oh my goodness. You know, my mom tells this story of how, um, you know, growing up, there were things that I would say that I would want to do. I want to ride the bus. You know, I want to, uh, you know, I want to leave home. I, you know, she instilled certain things in me, just like, you know, it was like, when you, when you turn 18, you got to leave. And, and what she told me later on in life was that she honestly, based on her experiences, and of course she grew up, you know, in the 60s um, and 70s, that um, she didn't honestly think those things were possible based on what she knew, but she didn't tell me any different. Right. And so what's amazing is that I did, like, I, those are things that I was able to do. And I was able to do those things because of, of the ADA. So um, you've had a number of jobs, but if we could focus right now on the work that you're doing with the impact campaign for Crip Camp, mm -hmm. tell us briefly what that is. Sure. So my role is impact producer for Crip Camp, which is a Netflix film that you're in and it's amazing. Um, you should all watch it. Yes. If you haven't seen it, first of all. Yeah, I don't understand, but anyway, um, but yeah, my role is really as impact producer is to take the incredible messages in the film, you know, around community, around, you know, civic engagement, um, around, you know, pride and just all of the things um, to really leverage them for social change and to think about, you know, how we continue those conversations and expand those conversations and also how do we strengthen 
um, and just kind of rejuvenate for those of us that have been doing, you know, have been working in disability rights and justice spaces for so long. Um, how can we continue to, to grow together and um, just do new things? And then, yeah, there really has been this amazing opportunity to connect with organizations other social justice organizations to um, kind of bring disability into those spaces, um, which has been really important as well. So why did you decide you were interested in this job? Well, so, so many reasons. Number one, um, what I love about my work is the opportunity to bring lived experience and professional experience together. So obviously disabled black woman. Um, and I, my background and interest is in communications and outreach and, and just getting out and a word effectively and, and more so it really has been to bring disability into conversations where we haven't, you know, either that, not that we haven't sometimes, but um, yeah, bringing disability into spaces where there's more work to be done. And so that's what I was really excited about. Um, I was excited about the opportunity to expand, um, to think about as we're celebrating ADA 30, uh, to think about where have we been and where are we going? And I mean, I've just gotten to meet some of the coolest people and it's not about me. What, I, what I've enjoyed the most is, is being able to connect with people to um, to just expand the conversations and bring more people in um, to, to the work that we're doing. That's been the most fun. So when you started this project, um, you are doing it jointly with Stacy Parks Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, could you maybe, unfortunately she passed away. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe give the audience a little bit of information about who she was? Oh my goodness, there's not enough time, but I will say, Stacey, um, um, she was so many things. Um, I mean, she's one of the curators of the disability justice um, framework. She, you know, started out in the movement, you know, when she was a teenager and in North Carolina. And really, um, she was the biggest dreamer that I knew, to be honest with you. She could, she would have, you know, these amazing ideas and actually, and they would happen. And so she was a pillar for our community and obviously now an ancestor. Um, and goodness, so many of the things that I, I hear so many of us say on a day-to-day -day basis come from um, the work that she did and how she really brought people together. She really, you know, centered. Um, those that are most marginalized within even the disability community. So she was great. She was great. I miss her. And I think one of the um, important parts about talking about Stacy is uh, for people watching this to think about people who've been influential in their lives who've passed away. And I think one thing that's been very important is that you've made sure on a regular basis that people really understand the important role that she has played Absolutely. in our movement. So Absolutely. memories and in, in Judaism, we say may their memory be for a blessing. Yes, definitely. So tell me, um, 
what do you see as one of the next steps that we need to be taking in our movement? What I feel so proud about with you is the great work that you and Stacy started that you continue on really diving into diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and what would you say the effect of your really uh, broadly um, expanding the voices of disabled people from all different backgrounds? What impact are you seeing? Oh, there's so much power in um, validation and being seen and being heard and being, you know, not just brought into a space because the goal is to move beyond tokenism to um, to really valuing um, the the intersectional experiences um, and 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 changing things because of it, you know. Um, and so what I'm finding is, I, I mean, it's like, I, I, I think everyday man, I think I thought I knew and I had no idea, even as a disabled person, because the more conversations that we have with, um, you know, people of, with different experiences, the more we all learn and the better this community, like the, the, the results are, you know what I mean? And so that's, that's what I think is so um, important around, and, and the fact is, I mean, we deserve, you know, to be uh, all of the things that we need. We deserve it, and and yet, and still, there's really value for us all um, when when there's more people that are that are in the room and that are given space to speak up. And, and I think that's the thing. We can all be in a room, but if we're not actually given the space to share and to be decision makers, then it's kind of a nod. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually very, so proud of the work that you're doing because I think overall in the disability movement, while we are continuing to really work on expanding the movement to reflect our diversity, we're really doing it in my mind in a way that's different than many other movements because we cut across everything. Exactly. And I really hope that some of the um, outcome of our work is that other organizations that are not disability focused recognize that they too need to be including disability in their work. Absolutely. We're, the we're, uh, we're running out of time, but there's one more question okay. I absolutely have to ask you. I'm ready. That is that you are known for your design, your clothing, <laughs> your earrings, your glasses. How did you get into um, being so engaged with fashion? Honestly, it's a family thing. If you would see both of my parents' closets, my dad's closet is a room. My mom's closet is a room. They both are, you know, um, and, and uh, it, it was always like, when you look good, you feel good. Um, I, I, and I know we don't have much time, but I must say that I've had to, I've evolved. Um, in my thinking when I was younger, I used to do it to try to compensate for what I felt like was um, a detriment, which was, you know, that, okay, there's disability. And so I need to look good so that people will pay attention to the fact that I look good and don't see disability. And that's definitely not where I'm at anymore. I just loved it. You know, I love color. I love creativity. I love to color. I love to paint. I feel like my 
makeup is a palette, you know, it's just, not, you know, all of that stuff. So that's really where it comes from. <laughs> well, you know, you shine as a leader, as a spokesperson, but I have to say, I always want to look at your clothing. Uh, but, because um, as you said, now that we're dressing for ourselves and others, and not yeah. to hide who we are. Exactly. Also so powerful. Exactly. Speaking of fashion, let's fast forward to right after the Oscars as Judy and Andrea reflect on that night and talk about what you might not think was actually the highlight of the whole experience. So hello, everybody. Welcome back to a special edition of the human perspective with the fabulous Andrea Levant. She and I had the privilege, and I really want to say privilege, of uh, going on the red carpet at the Oscars and being at the same table when we lost and uh, girling it as we went through. I, however, did not have a beautiful dog. And Goji was, if we want to be honest, stole the show. And I think Goji got us many more things than we might have gotten if it just had been the two of us with, of course, the fabulous Jim Lebrecht, otherwise known to me as Jimmy Lebrecht or James Lebrecht, uh, Nicole Noonan and Sarah Boulder. So, Andrea. Yes. Did you ever expect to be going to the Oscars? Well, no, (laughs) in short, no. I think that, you know, somebody asked me earlier, would, like, if you were told younger Andrea that you were going to the Oscars, um, you know, what would she have said? And I think that for me, if you would have told me, oh, you're going to be famous, I would have been super excited about that. But I think that what meant the most to me was what you could not have told me as younger Andrea is that it would be because somebody, because Hollywood, because the world had acknowledged disability, you know, I think that is where the greatest, you know, surprise and and just great gratitude is, is is that like it, for what it was for, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that is what I I certainly could never have imagined. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very fair to say that for me, also, Crip Camp has really become a phenomenal film that more and more people are seeing. And obviously, it's the quality of the film that people are really drawn into it. and the uh, wisdom of the group to set up the impact campaign. And then the greatness of you really being given this opportunity to lead the campaign, mm-hmm. uh, which really has opened up a myriad of opportunities. So today, you know, I'm wanting to focus on reflection of the Oscars. And I think all this does really fall under that uh, roof. Mm-hmm. So when you, over the last year, have been working on uh, the impact campaign. Did you, what, what have you seen that began to make you feel like this film 
would be one of such note that it would be um, nominated for an Oscar? It, you know, I think it was that as much as we have been, you know, I've been involved in, you know, the disability rights movement when, you know, advocacy, you know, over the past more than a decade, almost 15 years, but um, the, the fighting, the, all of that stuff, it was, I've never felt such common ground both within and outside of the, of the disability community, meaning like the unity and people, everybody, I mean, people that would just fall into it off of Netflix, you know, and we're like, I watched it, it has to win. I mean, just everyday people, it, it, it's one thing like, A, to get our buy-in as a community, we all know that can be hard, right? Like for, for, for our people to say, this is great and it, it feel like a universal gratitude, you know, uh, uh, um, and it's not just gratitude, it's actually like that it resonates with all of us, no matter how old we are, what stage we are in terms of like, disability pride or acceptance or whatever the things are, that it seems to have this universal resonant message is, I think that's what, um, when I started to realize, okay, this is huge. And then, like I said, when, when I would hear able-bodied people or, you know, non-disabled people, um, you know, acknowledge that the power of it, that's when it really made a huge, like, okay, I think this is a thing. <laughs> Yeah, and the impact campaign started after Sundance. So following along your thought line, when I was at Sundance in uh, 2020, I guess late January, early February, I was there for about four or five screenings and you know, with, with Jimmy and Nicole and uh, Sarah and a number of the other people that were in the film, which is what was a little bit sad about the Oscars because the numbers were so restricted right. that um, with Sundance, many of the people in the film were there and that was very empowering. Yeah. But I think the point that you were making about the average non-disabled person relating to the film was so overwhelming at Sundance because there were thousands of people that we were seeing over the course of a couple of days. And you could really tell that there was a chord that was struck with many of them. I think the value of it not being a short film, but a long film and really having a lengthy chronology. So yes. it went from the 70s to I think the last filming we did was like in 2018. And um, that journey, I think, was very important. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's go back a minute to the Oscars because I didn't expect to go at all. My expectation was zero. Yes. And so when it was no longer zero, I was kind of frozen in time. I didn't exactly know what to do. Of course, you know, like you, you, you start thinking about accessibility of the hotel room and we're dealing with all that. How was your experience with the hotel room? Amazing. It was the best hotel experience I've ever had. I've admitted it's bittersweet because I think that, you know, it, it shows privilege in a way because 
I, I was talking about how three weeks before I went on a vacation to a ver- the same chain and, and ask for the same accommodations. And when you don't have, you know, some name behind you, it, you don't get the same results. And that's, that's honestly, that it shouldn't be that way. So it just proves there's so much more work to do, you know. So what, what Andre is um, referencing is we stayed at the Marriott in LA and the manager there was amazing. And, and that's not what everybody's experiences necessarily are. But I also think it depends on the manager. It does. And I think that's, you know, you and others have had experience with me, and myself with Marriott's and others where some of the managers do not really invest, invest. And this gentleman, for any of you who go to the LA Marriott and you need accommodations, Parker is your man. He is a kind, yeah. thoughtful, will work all the way. And, yeah. and I, like Andre was thinking, you know, did they do this because Netflix was bringing us in? Mm-hmm. And, and in the end, I'm sure that was part of it. But I think that he's just a genuinely good man. Yeah, Genuinely good on customer service. Yes. So that made, we both, you got there on a Wednesday, we got there on a Tuesday, day before. But I think it made the experience so much better because we didn't have to worry throughout the day about getting in and out of bed or using the bathroom because it was what we needed. Once you got the uh, go-ahead that you were going to be going. So what were some of the things outside of the basic accessibility that you started thinking about, like clothes? You know, the very, honestly, Judy, before I even knew I was going to the Oscars, I was, I was figuring out what I was going to wear, even if I was at home with my friends. Like, it, that was, it was a moment to acknowledge also, we've been in this pandemic for, you know, a good year. And so I'm like, I get to dress up, even if it's to be on Zoom, even if it's to take some pictures at my friend's house, like whatever it may be. Um, I saw this as an opportunity to um, just have fun and celebrate. So I just kind of, I would say once we knew, once I knew that I would be there, um, it was kind of stepping up the game in terms of, of um, honestly, accessories. The dress that I wore on the red carpet is the exact dress that I had picked out before I knew I was going to be on it. So that's the truth. <laughs> so there are many differences between Andre and myself. One of them is age. So I'm not sure if I would have been in my 40s, because now I'm in my 70s, if I might not have thought the same way. But I think maybe I had a little bit more um, pandemic fatigue mm-hmm. because I was waiting for some other friend to say, oh, let's put together some kind of a Zoom party. So for me, it was like, I have no idea what I'm going to wear. It took me days to start really realizing you are going <laughs> and you have to dress up and um looked through my closet a few things. And then really very luckily, a friend of mine, Rick Gadotti, linked me up with a couple of um, designers. And so it was like a whirlwind of two and a half weeks of trying to figure out how it was gonna be designed. And so that is a once in a lifetime experience too. 
So the Oscars announcement came up, the nomination came up and that very night I sent an email to um, a a person who I knew from DC who is a stylist who I've followed for years. I loved her style. And so we got on the call the very next day. This was like I said, right after the nomination. And I I knew that I didn't know what I wanted, but I, I told her, I said, I want Grammys meets Oscars because I knew I wanted something flashy, but I wanted it to be classy. And and she sent me this. This was the first one. It was the most daring of the five that she sent me. <laughs> and of course, I was like, yes, that one, you know. Um, but I will say that as as time went on, and and because it was custom made, um, I got nervous a couple of weeks in and start. Once I realized that we were going to the Oscars. I did get nervous and start looking for a backup dress. And I spent one day going from store to store trying to find one. And I couldn't, there was nothing that even remotely topped it. And I remember a couple of my friends looking at it and they were like, Andrea, you might as well give it up. Cause like, there's, there's nothing that is more you. So you're just going to have to have faith that it's going to be there and it's going to fit. Cause there was nothing else. I tried, so I had no backups. We and and honestly, we put it on. We just tried the top on. So the whole split that everybody's like excited about. <laughs> I don't know if I had fully tried it on whether I would have gone for it, but we didn't put it on till that day. Like it was just like okay, I guess we're gonna go with this. <laughs> so for the audience, you know that Andre and I use wheel, ride in wheelchairs. And so for me also, the pants, I tried on like two or three days before I actually wore the outfit. So if they really dramatically hadn't fit, I have no idea what I would have done. Too much to get dressed and stuff like that to have to do it more than more than one time. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. So what was the highlight of the Oscars for you? Oh my goodness. Um, I think it was just feeling like I belonged there, not in the sense that like, it was just feeling like I didn't feel othered. I really did not. I didn't feel like we were an afterthought. I didn't feel like, you know, we had our own separate section you know, from the ramp to, I mean, as soon as we got onto the carpet, there were people waiting for us, you know, they were welcoming, they were glad we were here, they loved Goji, you know, um, they were, you know, we got double takes from so many people and, and you know, celebrity, you know, that, that were just, everybody was so lovely. Um, and so I think that it, it's just the whole, the, it was the feeling of the experience for me, not so much like, oh, I met this person or I met this person, but just feeling like, you know, welcome and in every way, the, the being able to access all of the spaces that we wanted to and being able to approach people and you making me go up to Angela Bassett. <laughs> yeah, I was going up to people and uh, Andrea was, oh, I really want to meet this person. I'm like, go. And I took her over there and I said, go over and introduce yourself. Yeah, she did. So um, very sweet and got great pictures. She was. So that was, it was just the experience overall to me, just feeling, you know, feeling like 
they were just super welcoming in a way that I am. Unfortunately, I think that we are not accustomed to just yet. You know, hopefully it moved the needle on that. But I, I know it did. Not hopefully. I know it did um, because the Oscars is so revered that it set a precedent. But yeah, it was. I awesome. mean, I have a similar but not identical experience. So I did feel other. Mm. I did also feel that they were welcoming. So, you know, I one of my thoughts about our film is this can't be the be all end all. Absolutely. And one of the important aspects of work that people like Jimmy are doing with Forward Doc, for example, yes. is really helping to create ongoing opportunities for disabled people to be able to be in the industry. And I think that is something that will not stop. Yes. And so I think you're completely right that this was a really good learning opportunity for mm -hmm. the industry that was involved with the Oscars. Right. So if you think about all the experiences you've had in your life, where would going to the Oscars be? Someone asked me that question yesterday and I stopped just like you and I had to think about it. I, I do because, oh, it, I would say it would be the top, but I, again, I don't know if it's for the reasons people think, you know, like it, it's not, a, I mean, meeting celebrities, that kind of thing. I mean, it's wonderful. That wouldn't be what it was. Yeah. But I think it was to be in celebration with, you know, and to commemorate this moment. I told people, and, and this is important um, for this conversation. I told, I was telling folks that have asked about the experience that the Oscars was the icing on the cake for the week that we had together. I personally, I was like to be able to, you know, spend days with Judy you know, and hang out and like, you know, folks from Camp Jeanette came into town yeah. uh, and, you know, yes, how the hotel treated us. And, and I mean, it was my first time meeting Jim and, um, Nicole. and Nicole and Sarah. It was, uh, you know, the, the LCI team came into town. That to me, you know, coming together in the community, especially when we've been, you know, quarantined and isolated for so long, that was, it's the moments that people didn't see, you know, that really meant the most to me. And so it was the whole week that makes it probably the best week ever, um, but not just the event itself. I, I, it was just epic. It was, it was epic and that was the icing on the cake. Yeah, and I think the way you're explaining it is the way I feel about it. And quite frankly, I felt when I came home that I was more emotional than when I was there because you drove, we flew, but like you hadn't been out for more than a year. And I don't, we don't have a van that we're using right now. So literally, except taking taxis, to go to doctors and dentists appointments 
which are few and far between, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. I'd walked a complete like seven blocks um, over the last, you know, 12, 13 months. Mm -hmm. So doing everything that we did and then being um, in LA and meeting the people from Jeanette and seeing Sarah, Jimmy and Nicole again, and then being with you, mm -hmm. you and I've met before, but it was being able to call and being able to have a drink and yes. get together is so different than just being on Zoom. Yes. And I think, you know, the moment of the Oscars um, is what brought us together. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's a unique experience that on the one hand, I hope we never go through again. And I don't mean literally the aspect of the Oscars, but coming out of such terrible time, right. meaning, meaning COVID. So um, when I came home, friends at a little party and gave me this Oscar and, it. It, and look at the Oscar. I think the arms are not regular length. Ah, they're not. I love they're not, right? So my friend and our friend, Charlotte McLean and Clapo gave me this Oscar. And when I brought it back downstairs to my apartment, I looked at it and I called her and I said, Oscar had the disability. So Andrea Lamont, what are your next hopes for um, the impact campaign? Oh my goodness. For the impact campaign, I think it's continuing to, I mean, it, it's hard when you set a high ceiling, right? Um, I think that, um, you know, we have goals to, to move things in more. We were very unintentionally international, <laughs> uh, but now there's an opportunity to, you know, broaden our reach in that way. Um, we really, oh, it was, we had this conversation a bit ago, but it was, there was doors that were open, but it doesn't mean that, you know, everything is perfect when we have wheeled or walked or whatever through them. Um, and so there's more, um, you know, having one-off conversations or whatever is one thing, but actually changing systems, there's, we all know there's so much more to do. So um, it, what I have continually said about Crip Camp is that it's a conversation starter. Um, and so we have a lot of following up and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of work to do to continue to, to affect change for our community, specifically, you know, in a way that embraces all aspects of our identity. I think for me, one of the really important aspects of what the impact campaign has done is to really bring together so many new and emerging leaders. Yes. Uh, both with different disabilities and from uh, different communities. So a real visibility for people from the black community, the Latinx community, on and on. And I think that's very important. And also a real example of what needs to be going on here and in other countries. Yes. And the fact that the work really has been, you know, we, Crip Camp, the film, starts in the early 1970s and it's a period piece and it reflected the period of segregated camps that were really pretty much narrowly focused on certain types of disabled people 
but the movement really has become much larger over the last 30, 50 years. So that it truly is a much broader cross disability movement in many aspects. Yes. So I know that, you know, your work as um, Andrea Levant consultant will absolutely go beyond Crip Camp, cool. which is what I think is really important. Mm -hmm. So Crip Camp is a very important part of the work that you're doing and maybe the biggest part until this point in time. But um, I look forward to working with you and your amazing creativity and your vision and your style and so many other things. So thank you so much. So happy that we could share our Oscar experiences. Labeled Oscar, I love it. <laughs> so thank you and thank you all. And um, I think you can probably go back and look at the Oscars and look at the beautiful clothing that so many people were wearing. It was outrageous. But Andre and I and Jimmy and Nicole and Sarah, we were all competitive. And Rebecca and Stevie, who I was with, and Jamie, who you were with, were really styling. I felt like we competed with the best. We did. We looked great. We looked great. So thank you. Thank, thank you, everybody. And who knows? I doubt I'll ever go back to the Oscars, but it's a real possibility you'll see Andrea there. I plan on being there. <laughs> and she'll be there. You've been tuning in to The Human Perspective with Judy Human. This week, our guest was Andrea Levant. Be sure to follow Andrea on Twitter and Instagram at Andrea Levant, as well as Levant Consulting on Instagram at Levant Consulting. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yontero, and Juaren. And the outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Human Perspective and follow Judy on Twitter at Judith Human and on Instagram and Facebook at The Human Perspective. <laughs> <laughs>